Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Why should we be fighting evil? I mean, isn't evil, the progression of evil in our society, just a sign of the end times? Why fight it? In fact, I've got three questions from you, listeners, uh, that are very similar all along these same lines that people are saying, look, let's not even get involved in fighting evil because we're just ushering in the end times anyway. This is inevitable. You can't stop it. We're going to deal with that question today. Also, there was a a gay presidential candidate who said this uh, this past week. He said, if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel is with my creator. And this man was directing these comments at Vice President Mike Pence. Because Mike Pence believes the biblical view that marriage is between a man and a woman and homosexual behavior is sinful. And so this presidential candidate, who we'll get to a little bit later in the show, said, basically, God has made me this way. God has made me a homosexual. So what do we say to that? Well, let's deal with the first question that I brought up. And here is what Sandra writes. Sandra's out in California. She writes this. How do you answer Christians who say we shouldn't be involved in politics because things that are happening are just a sign of the end times and we can't stop them? I'm involved in a grassroots group called Informed Parents of California, and we are fighting to stop the sexualization and and indoctrination of our, our children in our schools. It's so disappointing when you meet people who say, uh, who, who, who say, why do you do this? This is supposed to happen. It's just a sign of the end time. So what do we say to that? Excellent question, Sandra. In fact, as I say, there were two other uh, ladies that wrote in with the same kind of question providentially this week. Well, my first question when somebody says that we ought not be fighting evil because it's just a sign of the end times. My first question is, what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? Those two questions that Greg Kokel puts in his book, Tactics. What do, you, what do you mean by we shouldn't be fighting evil and it's just a sign of the end times? What, what is your view of the end times? Do you know when Jesus is coming back? Because he didn't. Not as a man anyway. In fact, whenever you ask a question about Jesus, you always have to ask two questions. People will say, well, if Jesus didn't know when he was coming back, how, how could he be God? Well, you always have to ask two questions. Because Jesus had two natures. Did Jesus know when he was coming back as God? Yes. Did he know when he was coming back as man? No. And look, if Jesus didn't know when he was coming back, neither did any of the people in our culture today who are saying, well, Jesus is going to come back at any minute. In fact, prior to 1988, uh, Hal Lindsey, the famous uh, writer, wrote a book called Late Great Planet Earth, and he basically taught that Jesus was had to come back by 1988 because of his interpretation of the scriptures, because Israel became a state in 1948. And this will happen within a generation, Matthew 24, a generation's 40 years. So it must be 1988. Well, the book brought a lot of people to Christ, even though the book was wrong. 
Yeah, sometimes God can even draw a straight line with a crooked stick. In fact, he does that with all of us. We can we can all get uh, some things wrong, but God can still use it for his glory. But you obviously you don't want to teach things that you know are wrong. And Jesus as a man didn't know when he was coming back. And Jesus taught in several places. I'm thinking particularly in parables like the parable of the talents, parable of the minyas. He basically said, you continue to do good and fight evil until until I come it, through those parables. But it's not just the parables that talk about the fact that we shouldn't remain idle. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament talk about this in a lot of depth. In fact, let's let's look at Paul for a second. If you look at Second Thessalonians three, Paul just got done talking about the fact uh, that Jesus is coming back. And here's what he writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Okay, so Paul's saying, look, if you've got people out there who are just not working, they're not, they're not following the teachings, the teachings that, that we have provided to you and the Lord has provided to you. These people are basically disruptive. So stay away from these people. So, Sandra, if people are telling you that you ought not be doing what you're doing, then they're going directly against what the Apostle Paul said. And Paul goes on to say this, for you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we are uh, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here's the rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. In other words, they were just sitting around saying, look, I don't have to contribute. I don't have God's going to come back at any minute. There's no sense working at all. Let's just let's just wait till he comes. And and by the way, you know, if I need something to eat, you'll feed me. Right. <laughs> Paul saying no. He goes on to say, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and eat or and earn the food they eat. And for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Sandra, you're doing what is good. You're out there trying to protect children from sexual indoctrination. What could be more important than that? Very few things are more important than protecting children. Jesus said, if you, la- if you lead these little ones astray, that, uh, that it should be worse than hanging a millstone around your neck and throwing you into the ocean. So you're doing what is good, Sandra. You ought to keep doing what is good. Don't let people stop you from doing what is good. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not overcome or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. His famous passage at the end of Ephesians six, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If there's ever a scheme of the devil, it's to try and sexualize kindergartners and 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 grammar school kids. That's not a topic for them at that period in their lives. And yet you're trying to prevent them from being sexualized. So you're doing a good thing, Sandra. You're standing against the schemes of the devil. 
He, he goes on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, and you know the rest of it, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So stand firm. Paul says about um, dealing with false teachers and people who are trying to present false information. He says this in Second Corinthians 10. In fact, this is a, a verse I often quote when I'm uh, uh, writing. A, someone asked me to sign a book or something. I usually put Second Corinthians 10, 5 there. Why? What is Second Corinthians 10, 5? Well, let me read. Let me read starting in verse three. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. These arguments, he says. And here's here's verse five. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against good thinking, the knowledge of God. And that's what you're doing, Sandra. You're pro- you're, you're you're presenting arguments that children ought not to be sexualized and and that's what you're commanded to do peter says be be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith that's first peter five so You're doing what you should be doing, Sandra. And right when we come back from the break, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you ought to be doing what you're doing. You ought to be involved politically and you ought to be involved socially. You ought to be involved morally. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network back in two. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Should Christians even be concerned about evil, evil out there in the world, evil in politics, evil in our school systems? Or should we just say, look, it's the end times. This is the sign of the end times. Just get ready for Jesus to come back. Well, you should always be ready for Jesus to come back. But he said, look, work until I come back. He said that through the parables Jesus did. And the writers of the New Testament said the same thing. In fact, it's the church's fault that our culture is where it is now. Because we gave up on the culture. We circled the wagons back in the 1920s, about 100 years ago. When, when we felt we couldn't engage the culture, we went separatist. When I say we, I mean evangelicals. They went separatist and they got out of politics and law and media and education and they left that all to the secularists. Well, when you take the godly influence out of those things, then the godless take over. Is it any wonder our courts are godless? Because the godly people got out of it. Is it any wonder the media is godless? Well, because godly people got out of it. Is it any wonder so much of politics is godless? Well, the godly people got out of it. We thought that, well, those were secular jobs. We don't get involved in the secular jobs. We just do the sacred things like like, like missionary work and pastors and everything else is secular. That is a false dichotomy. To the Christian, everything is sacred. 
We're supposed to be involved everywhere. We're supposed to be salt and light everywhere. And if you give up on society, that means you're giving up on people because people make up society. And we're here to actually contribute to the culture, to redeem the culture. Now, it, redeeming the culture might not be our number one priority. Our number one priority isn't, isn't even evangelism. Our number one priority is worship. And that includes evangelism and redeeming the culture. So we're supposed to do all this. Giving up on the culture, giving up on education, giving up on the law leads to false beliefs, which leads to lost people because the law is a great teacher. Many people think whatever is legal is moral and whatever is illegal is immoral. In fact, I'll unpack that here in a few minutes. Let me give you some reasons why we ought to be involved, not just politically, but socially. And for, in fact, any Christian who tells me, look, you know, let's just preach the gospel. There's, there's nothing else we need to do. Don't get involved in politics. Don't get involved in all these issues. Just preach the, just, just preach the gospel. Well, when people say that, and, and this is in response to three questions I got recently that I'm trying to answer here in this podcast, this radio program. When, when people ever say, let's not get involved in politics, let's just preach the gospel. If they're Christians, I say, I want you to take out your iPhone, your droid, or if you're one of the nine people in the world, a Windows phone, you can take that out too. And here's what I want you to do. And if you're not driving right now, if you've got your phone with you, Google this. I want you to Google Korea Satellite Night. Korea Satellite Night. And then hit Images. What's going to come up? Well, you're going to see a satellite picture of the Korean Peninsula. And you'll see a stark difference between South Korea and North Korea. South Korea is filled with light. It's filled with productivity. It's filled with the gospel. It's one of the more Christianized countries in the world. North Korea, on the other hand, is a concentration camp. It's virtually completely black, except for a little bit of light coming from their capital. Why is there such a stark difference between this homogeneous population of Koreans across the 38th parallel? Why is North Korea virtually dark with zero productivity or very little productivity? And South Korea is a bustling economy. One reason, one major reason, politics. The South has political freedom. The North does not. And my only question to people when they say, let's not get involved in politics is, which kind of country would you rather live in, South Korea or North Korea? If the answer is South Korea, and I think it would be for just about everyone, except maybe the dictator living in North Korea, would be, well, then you need to be involved because laws affect virtually everything we do. Laws affect our ability even to preach the gospel. Because, you know, we can't do what we're doing on this radio program, on this podcast right now in North Korea. Why? Because politically they've ruled it out. I mean, if you go to some of the, some of the countries I've been to, I've been to Iran, I've been to Saudi Arabia, I've been to China. You can't do what we're doing right now. In those countries, you can't go to church legally, not not a free church anyway in those countries. Why? Because politically they've ruled it out. You can't preach the gospel in those countries. Why? Because politically they've ruled it out. So if you think the gospel is important, then you ought to think politics are important because the po because politics affects your ability to even preach the gospel or live your live out your faith. In fact, politics comes from a combination of words that means citizen city. It means a citizen being involved in a city. And Christians are citizens too. Are only atheists allowed to run the country? No. Why would that? Why does that make any sense? This has nothing to do with the separation of church and state either. 
This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with whether you as a citizen can be involved politically. And the answer in our country is yes, and it should be yes. In fact, God created government and he commanded us to be salt and light in everything, in every area of life. Fighting evil and promoting good also helps us to be more like Jesus. So we ought to be involved. In fact, let me give you a third reason. The first reason that you ought to be involved in politics is because Christians are citizens too. And and it's not just atheists who should be running the country. We want a, a country more like South Korea, not North Korea. Now, I'm not saying only atheists will make you a North Korea, although some will, obviously. Stalin <laughs> made a, 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 a pretty um, abusive culture, as you know, a pretty abusive state. They murdered pretty abusive. It's awful. They they murdered 20 million of their own citizens over there. And, and in fact, yeah, I'm digressing a little bit, but people will say, well, you know, um, in fact, Christopher Hitchens asked me this question in one of the debates. He said, well, would you rather have a, a country led by atheists or a country led by jihadists, Muslims? No, I said, well, I'd rather have you know, run by atheists. Uh, but if I had a, more of a chance to think about it, I would have said, well, an atheist like you, Christopher, but not an atheist like Stalin or an atheist like Paul Pot or an atheist like Mao. It depends on what kind of atheist you're talking about. So the force being used by atheists to, atheist regimes to kill their own people is something that obviously Jesus would never condone. In fact, the logical outworking of Christianity is someone like Mother Teresa, whereas the logical outworking of atheism could be somebody like Mao or Stalin or Pol Pot. Why? Because if atheism is true, there is no ultimate right or wrong. Everything's just a matter of opinion. Whoever has the power gets to make the rules and gets to impose his or her will on anybody else. Because if there is no objective standard beyond humanity, then everything's just a matter of opinion. Now, I'm not, look, again, I'm not saying that all atheists are this way. I'm not saying that atheists are necessarily bad people or they don't know right and wrong or that they can't do good. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that atheists can't justify right and wrong. So why should just atheists be in charge of any government? They shouldn't be. Christians ought to be involved as well. In fact, I think everybody has the right to be involved politically. So that's the number one reason. The number two reason you ought to be involved is because God created government and he commanded us to be salt and light in every area of life. And fighting evil and promoting good actually helps us be more like Jesus. The third reason you ought to be involved is because Jesus was involved in politics. What? Yeah. Who did Jesus go after the most? The Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? Well, they were often part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, who basically ran Israel because the Romans delegated much of the lawmaking to them. So when Jesus went after the politicians, or went after the Pharisees, I should say, he went after not only religious leaders, but political leaders. And he said to them that you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law in Matthew chapter 23. He said, you're tithing your spices, which is what you should do, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, these kind of things. And in fact, that's what our, our, our country is doing right now. In our country, we're telling people what light bulbs they can and can't use, but we're not saying anything about aborting children we're allowing people to abort their children in fact we're encouraging them to do it in fact we're paying for it we're inverting or i should say ignoring the weightier matters of the law we're ignoring life 
And yet we're telling people what they can and can't do with regard to what light bulbs they use in their house. I mean, Jesus would excoriate our politicians right now if he were here today. Well, he is, but he's, he's not physically here today. You know what I mean? But we're supposed to be his ambassadors. We're supposed to be his representatives. So we ought to be involved in that way. Number four, politics affects the church evangelism and our religious liberties. As I mentioned earlier, if you don't think politics are important to your religious liberties, go to North Korea and see how far you get. Oh, Frank, but sometimes the church can can actually thrive under persecution. Well, sometimes it can. Sometimes it, it doesn't. I don't think it's thriving very well in North Korea. But even if it was, that wouldn't be an advertisement to not fight evil. Yes, God can get his will done through persecution, but that doesn't mean we wish it on us or we wish it on people. We're supposed to fight evil. It makes us more like Jesus. And it affects other people, obviously. It helps other people when we fight evil. Politics affects our children and our rights as parents and citizens. And that's what this lady, Sandra, who wrote in and is working for a group trying to prevent the sexualization of children in California. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to to protect children. And politics does that. Politics affects morality and justice. Slavery wouldn't have been abolished without Christians. That's number six right there. Number seven, politics affects the most vulnerable in our society, like the unborn. They need us to get involved. They don't have a voice. Number eight, Christians are uniquely called to seek the good of everyone. When we get involved politically, we're supposed to seek the good of everyone. Now, I realize a lot of people don't agree with our positions, but we think our positions are right for everyone. When it comes to these big issues, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, marriage, all these issues, they may not like our positions, but ultimately it's good for everyone. Let me just give you an an example about marriage, for example. The reason the government's involved in marriage, as I've said many times in this program, is to perpetuate and stabilize society. Everybody benefits when marriage between a man and a woman is advanced. In fact, what would happen to society if everyone lived faithfully in natural marriage, marriage between a man and a woman? Well, so many of our problems would go away. Abortion would be reduced. Child abuse would be reduced. Poverty would be reduced. Government overreach would be reduced. Why? Because the government wouldn't have to bloat itself to make up for the broken family. You see, when the family breaks up, the government tries to step in and take care of all the social problems that result from the broken family. And of course, it can't do it. But what does that lead to? Well, that leads to a bigger government, higher taxes, which means you have less money in your pocket, which means you aren't as well off as you could be. It's a a whole number of dominoes fall. And even if you don't get married, you get the benefit of other people who do get married and bring up children in a married household. So it's good for everybody. Well, there's much more we're going to talk about right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. And don't forget, CIA is coming up in August. If you want to be a part of it and learn from us on how to better present Christianity, you need to sign up for CIA soon. It's on our website. Go there. I'm back in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. CIA is the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, where we teach you not only how to present better the evidence for Christianity, but how to answer questions. But we only take about 60 or so students because not only do we present to you, you present to us. So in order for us to evaluate everyone, we have to limit the class size. And uh, that's why you got to apply soon, because we're going to shut it down when we get to about 60 students. So go to crossexamine.org. You'll see the big banner come up right in the the first thing should pop up. You'll see all of the instructors' faces there, including myself, David Wood, Greg Kokel, Richard Howe, Bobby Conway, many others right there on our website. And it's going to be in Brooklyn, New York, the Big Apple this year, August 8 to 10. Sign up there. also want to mention that uh, we're uh, about to start a new online course and the online course I'm leading is called Life's Compass, Jesus, You and the Essentials of the Faith. Uh, I've never heard a, a sermon series or a teaching on the essentials of the faith in all my years of going to church. I guess we just assume people know what they are. Not only the essentials of the faith, but also why is Christianity true? How do we affirm these essentials? So we're going to answer a lot of questions in this course. It begins in very early May. We have limited room for the premium course. If you take the premium version of the course, you'll be live online with me via Zoom video during Q&A session. So you can ask me any question you want. Uh, and other people in the class, we, we can have conversations together. But that's the premium version. You can take the basic course anytime you want, but you don't get the interaction, the live interaction, unless you take the premium course. And again, the premium course is, is uh, limited. So Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. Life's Compass, it begins in uh, early May. And there's many other courses up there. The Resurrection Course with Gary Habermas, the uh, Biblical Reliability Course with uh, Craig Blomberg, the New Testament Manuscript Course with Dan Wallace. These are top-of-the-line presenters and professors at some of the best seminaries in the world, and they're teaching online courses with us. So check all that out right there on our website. Now, we were talking about reasons why Christians ought to be involved in in politics and other social issues related to a question. This is an answer to a question that I got from three uh, folks that wrote in. And I was pointing out that uh, the eighth reason we ought to be involved is because Christians are uniquely called to seek the good of everyone. The ninth reason is this country, the United States, wouldn't even exist unless our founders got involved in politics. It was predominantly started by Christians. And uh, they had moral reasons for wanting to break away from England. Read the Declaration of Independence. If they hadn't got involved, we wouldn't even have America. And uh, the tenth reason is the law is a great teacher. I mentioned that earlier. It helps change behavior and attitudes. I mean, 150 years ago, we went to war essentially over the issue of slavery. Um, how many people think today or how many people today think slavery is a good idea? Virtually no one. Why? Because the law changed. We changed the law. 
We put the 13th Amendment in the Constitution, which eradicated slavery. We, in fact, in fact, we're less religious now than we were 150 years ago, but we have a better moral view on slavery. Why? Because the law is a great teacher. It teaches people right from wrong. Many people think whatever is legal is moral and whatever, whatever is illegal is immoral. Same thing is true with abortion. You know, 50 or so years ago, we, we thought rightfully so that abortion was the taking of an innocent human life. Now we're about evenly split on that issue. Why? Because the Supreme Court unilaterally changed the law. We didn't have a constitutional amendment like we should have if you wanted to have a constitutional amendment to give people the so-called right to kill their children. We just had the court decide. Now we're about evenly split. Why? Because the law has helped inform people about this. They've, the law has given people the wrong idea. Same thing is true in marriage now. Now we think marriage is just genderless. Why? Because of same-sex marriage. We think marriage is just all about the romantic ideas of people. Or the romantic interests of people it has nothing to do with children. Well, let me let me be fair about this in this sense. It wasn't really the Supreme Court that brought this on. It just made it worse. You know what brought it on? We did. Because through no fault divorce, we made it seem like marriage is just about the romantic interests of adults. And once you lose that romantic interest in somebody else, well, you shouldn't stay married anymore because that's what marriage is all about. Just your romantic interests. Well, if that's the case, if marriage is just about the romantic interests of adults, then why not marry somebody of the same sex? What does it matter? Let's just leave the whole immorality of homosexual behavior aside. Let's just talk about if it's just about romance, then why marry anybody if that's what it's all about? Well, that's not what marriage is about. But we brought that on. Christians. Why? Because we bought into no-fault divorce, which has taught people that, look, if you're not in love anymore, then you don't have to be married. You shouldn't be married because marriage is all about love, the romance, the romantic feelings. Well, look, the reason you get married is because you might be in love, but once you're married, you love people because you're married. In other words, you might get married because you love somebody, but once you are married, you love them because you're married. I mean, in other words, love is not just about feelings. It's about a commitment. In fact, you wouldn't need a commitment if you always felt in love. What You don't need any commitment to, to stay married if you really feel good about the other person. There's no, ne there's no need for that. The reason you need the vow, the reason you need the commitment is when you don't feel like you really like the person. And you don't have all these warm, fuzzy feelings about the other person. That's why you need the commitment. And the commitment is there, not just to protect the other person, but to protect children that come from the commitment, that come from the marriage. But I digress, ladies and gentlemen. Let me go on to our next topic. So, Sandra, the lady that wrote in this question, keep doing what you're doing. Encourage others to do it and have people who uh, say we ought not be involved to listen to this podcast. Let me mention one other thing. Thank you for putting up the iTunes reviews on iTunes. Uh, so many of you have put some very positive reviews up there. Thank you for doing that. It moves the needle. Apparently, more people will listen to the podcast if uh, you put a positive review up there. So Brickle just put a nice review up there. Thank you, Brickle. Johnny DS1234 did so as well. I'm not going to read these because um, I just I just don't feel right about repeating nice things you say about this podcast, but they're up there. Thank you so much. Aunt Catherine said some nice things. Thank you, Aunt Catherine. 
I will read this one from Gray Smoke 321. Gray Smoke said, I am a Mormon and I am seeking Bible-based Christianity. And I think I have found that with Dr. Frank Turek. I feel a well-rounded Christianity with listening to Dr. Frank Turek. Well, thank you so much, Gray Smoke. I appreciate you uh, looking at uh, Bible-based Christianity. And I hope you, uh, you find uh, Jesus through this, the Jesus of the Bible. Thank you for uh, listening and writing that positive review up there and so many more. MC Floyd, Chef Dallas, keep keep putting up these positive reviews if you would. It really helps more people listen to the podcast. Somehow that works. I don't know how it works, but it does. So uh, and and pretty soon we're going to be moving everybody to the official cross examine podcast, the one with my picture on it. And the reason for that is we're able to put so much more information on our version of the podcast uh, than than uh, AFA. AFA just doesn't have the time to do what, what we can do with our own podcast. But we're going to migrate everybody over there and AFA will get the this, the same uh, podcast that uh, we're going to put on our official podcast site. So uh, if you haven't signed up for the one with my picture on it, please do so. And uh, that will ensure that you continue to get these podcasts every week. All right, let me go to the first openly gay presidential candidate, Mayor Pete. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't know how to pronounce his last name. It starts with a it's Buttig. Geek? I'm not sure. So I just, everyone calls him Mayor Pete. So I'll just call him Mayor Pete. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And uh, he said this about Mike Pence, uh, Vice President Pence, as you know, is an evangelical Christian, and he doesn't agree with Mike Pence's view on homosexuality. He said about Mike Pence, and he didn't, he hasn't said this to Mike Pence. He said this on some CNN or some other interview somewhere. He said, if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your, your quarrel, sir, is with my creator, unquote. In other words, according to Mayor Pete, God made me gay. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God, not me. Now, it almost sounds like atheistic materialism, doesn't it? That, you know, we're just born this way. We're just moist robots. We can't help it. Now, he claims to be a Christian, so I don't think he's advocating atheistic materialism here. I don't think that's what he means. But if he is a Christian, then there's a lot wrong with his statement, with Mayor Pete's statement here. Let's just take a few minutes to unpack and analyze this statement. First of all, there's several distinctions we need to make about when you're talking about this issue of homosexuality or sexuality at all. You need to draw a number of distinctions. One distinction is the distinction between people and behaviors. All people are equal, but their behaviors are not. Let me say that again. All people are equal. You're made in the image of God, but your behaviors are not. By the way, that's why we have laws. Because people are valuable, but not all behaviors people engage in are valuable. They need to be discouraged. So your identity and my identity and value is not in what you do, but in the fact that you are made in the likeness and image of God. Not that you look like God because God is immaterial. It means you're a person like God. You have mind, emotion, and will. You know you feel you want, and you can create like God. So that's one distinction. All people are equal, but their behaviors are not. The other distinction you need to make is there's always a distinction between attractions and actions that are just glossed over. Attractions don't necessarily justify actions. In fact, C.S. Lewis famously said that for any progress in this world to be made, quite a lot of restraint is going to be necessary. Let me put it this way. The principled restraint of destructive attractions And actions, let me put it another way, let me say it right. The principled restraint of destructive actions 
is what we call civilization. We might have attractions that cause us to want to engage in certain actions, but us restraining ourselves from those negative actions are what we call civilization. Attractions might not be a choice, but actions are always a choice. You might not be able to control your attractions, but you certainly can control your actions. So the distinction between attractions and actions we need to make. Also, there's another distinction between race and behaviors. Race is not harmful, but behaviors might be. Let's look at that last distinction, race and behaviors, because it's sloppy thinking to compare sex and race. Homosexuality, unlike race, is a behavior. And it's a statistically harmful behavior. As a result, people have good moral reasons, even beyond religious beliefs, for opposing or at least not wanting to advocate certain sexual behaviors. So race and sex are not analogous. Race hurts no one. There is no moral dimension to race. Race and sexual behavior, in other words, are in different categories. Race can't hurt anyone, but sexual behavior can. So stop trying to compare race and homosexuality. Sexual behavior always is a choice. Race never is. You will find many former homosexuals, but you never find a former African-American. All right? Now, we'll unpack more of this after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. It's crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org. And uh, our YouTube channel is now over 100,000 followers or subscribers. Thanks for that. We're back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type crossexamine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. I just mentioned that our YouTube subscribers are over 100,000 now. A lot of people get one email from us a week, um, and that email has a short Q&A video uh, from a college campus that they can they find helpful and they can share with other people. Because if you send somebody a 40-minute video, they won't watch it. But if you send them a four-minute Q&A video, they'll watch it. And that's a, a segue into people investigating more about Christianity. If you want to start getting... Those uh, emails once a week, we don't share your email address with anyone else. All you need to do is text the word evidence to 44222, evidence to 44222. Text that word evidence. We'll not only send you uh, the uh, one email a week, we'll send you the complete, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist PowerPoint in a PDF format so you can look at it at your leisure. We'll also send you the first chapter of Stealing from God. Uh, the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Just text the word evidence to 44222. All right, let's go back to our, our discussion here on what Mayor Pete said about how God made me homosexual. And so that means you, 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 you need to accept what I do. Um, well, part of this is, is the idea that, well, there's maybe some gay gene for homosexual attractions. But there's not only no evidence for a gay gene. Identical twin studies actually suggest it doesn't exist. But even if we do find some sort of genetic component to homosexual attractions, that would not mean that homosexual actions must be advocated by anyone. Because being born with certain tendencies or certain attractions doesn't necessarily justify acting on those tendencies. I mean, let me give you an example. Suppose, would, would you excuse somebody who was mean to people who... Uh, I self-identified as homosexual. 
Would you excuse a gay basher who said, hey, don't blame me. I was just born with the anti-gay gene. You'd go, no, of course not. That doesn't follow just because you think you were born a certain way. Now, I write about all this, these arguments in the book, correct, not politically correct, how same-sex marriage hurts everyone. So if, if you want, and the book has been updated just a couple of years ago after the Supreme Court decision. So that little book you can get on our website, crossexamine.org, click on store, you can get it on Amazon. It goes into all the details here. I don't have enough time to unpack all this, but let's just go back to what, to what uh, Mayor Pete said. Here's what he said. Basically, um, you know, God made me gay. And if you don't like it, your issue is with God. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Well, let's let's put a few other words in here. God made me angry. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. God made me lustful. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. God made me addictive. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. God made me greedy. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. God made me with the anti-gay gene. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. God made me attracted to children. And if you don't like that, your issue is with God. Oh, Frank, now you've crossed the line. You can't compare this to pedophilia. Well, my friend Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, who writes like column like every two hours. He's amazing. He's a machine. Go over to stream.org, stream.org to see all of Mike's columns. He does wonderful columns. Anyway, one of his columns just this past week was, is God responsible for a pedophile's attractions? And the subtitle is this, watch out for the illogical justification of sinful tendencies employed by Mayor Pete. It leads nowhere good. And here's what he says. This is his first couple of lines of his article. He says, or his column, he says, to ensure that there is no misunderstanding of any kind, please say these words out loud, slowly and clearly. Michael Brown is not comparing homosexuality to pedophilia. Michael Brown is not calling homosexuals pedophiles. Michael Brown is not comparing a mutually consensual adult relationship to an abusive child adult relationship. All clear? What I am comparing is the illogical justification of homosexuality that can just as easily be used to justify pedophilia. Exactly. That's okay. Unquote. That's it's me now. Okay. That that's what Mike Michael Brown said. Yes. What he's saying is it's a it's a logical fallacy called uh, reduction ad absurdum. If your argument results in absurd conclusions, if applied equally to another issue, you probably have a bad argument. In other words, in other words, if you're going to say being born that way even if that's true, justifies my behavior, then the born that way argument goes for everything, including pedophilia. This must be 10 years ago now. I had a, a gentleman email me. He was undercover with the FBI. He actually wrote a book on this. I don't have it in front of me, but I think his last name was, well, I, I don't have it in front of me. I, I'll be guessing. But anyway, he wrote a book and uh, he talks about he was undercover with the FBI. He had infiltrated NAMBLA. You know what NAMBLA is? North American Man-Boy Love Association. These are the pedophiles. And he said, inside of NAMBLA, their justification for what they do is we're born that way. And, and look, if you're going to say you're being born a certain way justifies your behavior, then the pedophiles are going to use that as well. Look, the truth of the matter is we're all born that way. What way? We're all born with an orientation toward bad behavior. It's called depravity. As Augustine said, depravity is the, is the tendency to sin and the necessity to die. We have a tendency. We're bent toward bad behavior. It's much easier to be bad than it is to be good. This is why Christianity, when you look at it, is one of the few, maybe the only worldview, which has the true view of human nature, that we're bent toward evil, that it's very difficult to be good. It's very easy to be bad. 
You don't have to teach a kid to say mine. Oh, you, know, you don't have to teach a kid to be selfless. You have to teach a kid to be selfless. Now, God has good reasons to oppose all harmful behaviors, including sexual behaviors, whether it be homosexuality, premarital sex, adultery, divorce, pedophilia, bestiality, rape, any behavior outside the marriage of a man and a woman, which, of course, brings us to the Bible. Something Mayor Pete, who claims to be a Christian, seems not to reference. Look, if the entire message of the Bible is redemption. You have Genesis, you have your paradise lost in Genesis, paradise regained in Revelation. Everything in between is the story of redemption. Redemption from what? Redemption from our redemption from sin. Redemption or salvation, we might say, from sin. See, what you will never find in the Bible is, oh, you're born that way. Great, then go right on sinning. God made me, or God made you that way. So he wants you to keep on sinning. Paul says in the book of Romans, may it never be. Don't blame God for your behavior. Or your condition. Thank God that he's come to earth to take the punishment you deserve for your behavior on himself. So you will never find anywhere in the Bible that says. You're born a certain way and you're justified in behaving that way. No, the entire. The entire force of the scripture is. That you're a sinner and you need a savior. And God loves you so much that he'll come and pay the price for your sin and he doesn't want you to stay that way through his spirit. He wants to help you to be more like him, to be like Jesus. Now, marriage, Jesus said, is between a man and a woman. Just see Matthew 19. Now, it's hard for me to believe someone who claims to be a Christian disagrees with Jesus, but that's what Mayor Pete is saying. Jesus also consent, condemned all forms of sexual immorality. Oh, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Oh, actually, he did. Yeah, he did. Directly, actually. People who say, oh, no, he never said anything. Well, yeah, he did. But before we get to that, let me point out that even if he didn't, that doesn't mean he was for it. I mean, he never said anything uh, directly about rape, but that doesn't mean he's for rape. Okay? Actually, what he did, he did speak about rape, and he did speak about sexual immorality. He talked about the category of sexual immorality, which included rape and homosexuality and divorce. Well, he spoke, he spoke about divorce in other contexts, too. But any sexual immorality is included in the category. Here's what he said in, in uh, Mark chapter 7. He said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Now, notice he talked about sexual immorality. That's the category. He didn't talk about every instance of sexual immorality. As our friends in the Babylon Bee have put it, well, God never said anything about uh, felony home invasion. You know, it's a joke headline. Yeah, so, so does that make felony home invasion okay? No, he didn't say anything specifically about felony home invasion, but he did say theft, which is in the category. It's a specific of the category known as theft. Yes, homosexuality is a specific of the category known as sexual immorality. So he did speak about felony home invasion when he spoke about theft. He did speak about sexual or homosexuality when he talked about sexual immorality. And of course, even if he didn't, other places in the scripture do talk about these issues. In fact, and I know it's going to it's going to be shocking for some, but Mayor Pete would have been expelled from Paul's Corinthian church for doing what he's doing. Remember in 
the church at Corinth, somebody was sleeping with his father's wife and that's sexual immorality. And Paul writes this in first Corinthians five, verse nine, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or adulterers. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or adulterer or a drunkard or slanderer or swindler with such a man do not even eat. He says, what business of mine to judge those outside the church? Are, are, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from, above, from, from among you. In other words, Paul is saying the only person not welcome in the church is someone who claims to be a Christian who says that known sin, particularly sexual sin, is not really sin. That would be Mayor Pete. Oh, man, that's harsh, isn't it? I'm just telling you what Paul says. Don't shoot the messenger. Paul is saying, expel the wicked man from among you. And by the way, Mike Pence has taken the high road here. He says he has nothing but respect for Mayor Pete. He worked well with Mayor Pete when he was the governor of Indiana. And he said, look, I understand Mayor Pete's just trying to make a name for himself. So he's attacking me to try and stand out. But if you're attacking uh, Mike Pence for his view on sexual immorality you might as well be attacking jesus because that was Je- that was jesus's view you might as well be attacking paul because that was paul's view you might as well be attacking everybody who wrote in the new testament about these issues and even the old testament because they wrote about them as well so if you're going to claim to be a christian then follow jesus don't pick and choose what you want because then you're not really a christian in fact if your god agrees with everything you agree with. If he agrees with all your behaviors, you probably have the wrong God. All right, friends. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek. Don't forget about the Essentials course coming up and CIA. Check the website for more. Great being with you. I'll see you here next week. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.